So as Dan said, we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts and preceding chapter John preached on last week. Uh, they were before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John were, and they were challenged to stop preaching in the name. Uh, but this, this passage kicks off with saying that great grace and power was upon the church. And we often hear things about the, this time in the church where if we could just go back to the early church, everything would be the best it's ever been. But if, as we just heard in this passage, things were not perfect during the time of the early church. There were problems. And there are problems that I think we all experience to this day. And in our culture, we're very driven by this desire to perform. All of us, every time we go to our work, if you don't do your job, what's going to happen? You're going to get fired. Take it from someone who's been fired. If you don't do your job, you get fired. That's what happens. But the challenge for us is, do we bring that in to the life of the body? Do we perform so that we may receive praise from both others and the perception that we'll receive praise from the Lord? But the reality is, that we are free in Christ from such performance. You hear it, it's often on the walls and coffee mugs. It's for freedom, you have been set free. And that's the truth of this passage, is that we have been set free. And we're going to look at three characters throughout this passage that help us understand what that freedom looks like. We're going to look at Ananias and his wife Sapphira, those who forsook their freedom. Peter, the protector of the church's freedom. And then we're going to look at Barnabas, he who lives freely. So Ananias and Sapphira forsaking their freedom. We, we don't really know a whole lot about Ananias and Sapphira. They, this is the first time they show up in the biblical text, and this is really the last we ever hear about them. For good reason. <laughs> but they're, they're in the Jerusalem church, so we can assume probably pretty readily that they're Jews. We can assume, obviously, they're property owners because they sold property to give to the church, and we can presume they're probably pretty wealthy. It took a lot to own property then. You had to have some level of status to possess property at that time, so they're probably pretty well off, and they were known to the people of Jerusalem, or the church in Jerusalem, they were active members of the assembly there, that being the local church. Peter knew who they were. They probably had friends and relationships in and amongst that church, much like all of you do today. That's one of my favorite things about this place is the relationships that we have built. And Ananias and Sapphira are in this passage as a juxtaposition, comparison, but not in a good way, to Barnabas. That's why the we're... Ananias and Sapphira come in in verse 1, it says, but. It's a striking contrast. And so let's assume, you know, Ananias and Sapphira sold this house for a million dollars because housing prices are nuts right now. <laughs> and then they presented this offering to the church. You know, you, you sell your home for a million dollars, you come and say, hey, Dan, we sold this home for 500 grand. Here it is. Here's 500 grand. We sold that house. They're participating in something that was ongoing in the life of the church. They're doing something that was normal. They weren't doing anything that was 
out of the ordinary. But the problem is, is obviously they lied about it. They lied about what had occurred, but that's really all we get. And so we have to think a little bit to understand why would they do something like this? Why would they present that they sold an entire property when they didn't? Well, we know why in terms of that Peter says, you know, Satan tempted them to do so. That's clearly written in the text for us. And I appreciated Dan adding verse 31 there, which I left off of the bulletin. That was my bad. And so it says there that the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. But when Peter confronts Ananias, he says, why has Satan filled your heart to do this thing? Now that, that leads to a very striking question, especially because of the consequences and that they die. Were Ananias and Sapphira believers? Can believers do things like this? Just taking a brief excursus really quickly. I think they were because Satan filled their hearts to do a bad thing. Satan, didn't, Satan himself didn't fill their heart. I just want to point that out. I think they're believers. I think they're, they will be with us in glory. But that's a, that's a challenging thing to ask and, and look at when, we, when we're encountering this text. And so they lied. That's obviously a sin. But what we can deduce further from the text is that they had come to do this to make much of themselves. Why would you present something that other people were doing but lie for no other reason other than to say, not his glory, not your benefit, but my benefit. I want to make much of me. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we are tempted to do that daily. That's why the confession of sin read as it did. That even if we do good things, we know that our motives are impure. It's a challenge for me every time I have the opportunity to stand up here and preach to perform. To say that if I can do this well enough, God will love me more, the church will love me more, and I will be great. Anybody else can relate to that? I got, I got two hands raised over here. It's very relatable. And, and that's, that's a part of our culture leaking into the church. But that's not just present. Obviously, this was happening then. This was the challenge for them as well. And the consequences of this cost them their lives. And we're not really told why they die. We can assume that maybe it was like a heart attack. They were so shocked that they had been ousted, that the truth had come to light, and he died. But we can only presume that it was the judgment of God in that situation. And that's like, whoa. Makes you kind of want to take a step back. Like, what on earth is happening? I thought we were all about grace and love. And we are about those things. But the reality is, is that if we rest on our performance to stand before God... You may not die today, but in the last days when judgment occurs, you will die. Your performance will not be enough. And I think we see that happening even in our culture today. Is like you talk about rising stress in people, the increase in anxiety, the increase in depression. Because the attempt to perform is killing us. Stress is... Toxic stress is causing your organs to shut down. You're, it's terrible. 
And that's not, like, that's not to say don't do what you need to do. But if we do, those, if, if we do it too much, if, we are, if our heart's desire is to perform and earn praise, it'll kill you. And it might not kill you now, but in the time of judgment, it will. Christ will say, depart from me, for though you did good things, you did not know me. The bottom line is this. Ananias and Sapphira were attempting to co-opt the love of God and the love of neighbor to make much of themselves. Love that was meant to be directed towards others for others' sake. They wanted it for their own sake. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't. When I was in high school, I played in like a heavy metal band. I played the bass guitar. One of the, one of the shows we played here in Little Rock, like, it was so metal that I, I cut my hand on my guitar strings and bled on the guitar. It was really disgusting. Um, but it tells you just a little bit about how metal we were. It was incredible. <laughs> it, was, it was a really good time. I really enjoyed it. There's, there's a few of you in here who've been to a show that we did. It was, it was a good time. And in the metal scene, you get Christian metal bands, and everybody's kind of like, oh, these guys are awesome because they're Christians in a dark place that's typically associated with evil, and they're people that are proclaiming the gospel in a lost and dying world. And you, like, you raise these guys up as kind of like paragons of faithfulness in an area that you love. One of these bands was named As I Lay Dying, which is named after a book. If you've read the book As I Lay Dying, I've not read the book um, but their vocalist, his name was Tim, Tim Lambesis. And eventually, it was like 2014, I think, Tim got arrested. And we were like, oh my gosh, what's happening to Tim? This paragon of like gospel living in the midst of a dark and dying world. He was loved. Well, it came to light that Tim was in prison and Tim was going to stay in prison because Tim had hired a hitman to kill his wife. <laughs> what? You hired a hitman to kill his wife? Well, it turns out the hitman that he tried to hire was an FBI agent, and that's how he ended up in jail. But I think Tim is a striking characterization of what, when, when we look to people and think, their performance is fantastic. But their heart has evil in it. Now he's been released from prison since then. And, but nobody, he's not a Christian anymore. He vocally apostatized. He no longer associates himself with Christ. But when performance is the metric, and then something comes to light that says that performance is a sham, that this was all about me, it will come to light. And it came to light in his life. And I can talk more about other metal bands that this has happened to. It's prominent. And it's disheartening. But we see this happen again and again in the church. It's happening pretty globally in a large scale right now in the United States. And so as we think about how we might be performing, consider the ways in that you might don a mask when you come in here on Sunday morning, 
both intentionally and unintentionally, try to make much of yourself. That you might win the praises of others. But not even that, that you might perform. This can be more insidious than just winning the praises of others. You can be convinced that if you can just perform enough, if I can perform enough, God will love me more than God loves Jerry. That can be the place that you can get to. Like, none of this is encouraging. This is all really disheartening. <laughs> Nobody's shaking their heads like, oh yeah, I'm loving this. Because you shouldn't. This is a hard reality and we all live with it. But that's why Peter, the protector of the church's freedom, is so important here. The passage starts off with the, the apostles were proclaiming the gospel with great power and grace was upon all of the church. Peter's the defender of the freedom that we have in Christ. And so we know that as Peter's ministering in the church, and we'll look, back, we'll look ahead later in Acts 6, where Peter's like, nah, he gathers all the people together and says, we can't step away from the ministration of the word. We've got to keep preaching. Because how else are you going to live in the good news of Christ if it's not proclaimed? So Peter is constantly proclaiming every day in the assembly of the church that the gospel is the good news of Christ, that Christ has come, he has died, and he has rose again. And in that, he has sent the Spirit that we may have this grace and power that is talked about early in the passage. That grace and power is a reference to the Holy Spirit here. And the Spirit is applying to us the work of Christ. Dan's talked about this story a couple times in the past couple months. But like when Peter dies, and or Peter, Peter didn't die and rise again. When Jesus died and rose again, people were like, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but where did all the good stuff go? Where did the, the life that Christ led, where does that go? It is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. That grace and power they've received, the Spirit is clothing us in the righteousness of Christ. And so, this is what Peter's doing. He's proclaiming this regularly, knowing that Christ has performed for you every day in the assembly so that you don't have to perform. You don't have to do that. That is the gospel. You don't have to perform. Christ has performed on your behalf. One of the favorite questions that Dan asks in the membership interviews, some of you have been through that quite recently, you know, how... If you were standing before God today, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? KJ, I know you like that, that question a lot. The answer is often, well, Jesus died for me. Well, Jesus died for you and gave you that righteousness. So Peter is protecting the freedom of the church by proclaiming daily the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has paid for your sins and clothed you in the righteousness of God. And that's why the Holy Spirit is there with grace and power. But he's not only... Proclaiming the gospel, he's confronting sinful behavior. And even further, Peter actually proclaims their freedom back to Ananias and Sapphira before they die. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Peter's telling him, you didn't have to do this. 
You could have sold the property and kept all the money. You could have sold the property and said, I'm just going to give $300,000. Because Christ had performed for Ananias and Sapphira, that he had clothed them in their righteousness, that their relationship between both themselves and God and now God and man could be reconciled, there was no need for this. And Peter's telling them that. Mind you, he's doing this before the entire local church. That'd be quite terrifying in that situation. So this isn't only edifying to us now, but it was edifying to the people then. They're hearing this, and they're hearing Peter say, you didn't have to do this. And the people are encouraged. I don't have to do this either. To tarry a little bit into the topic of giving, the only thing that we are required to do now is give with a cheerful heart because we have been so graciously given to. You don't have to give to perform. You don't have to serve to perform. None of that is necessary. And that leads into the fact that Peter is protecting the assembly. He's protecting the local church. He's guarding them from giving away their freedom. Imagine, if you will, if Peter had let this slide, that he'd said, oh, that 500 grand, that's really good for us. That's going to help us take care of so many poor people. I can excuse this. If that had happened, who knows what type of culture that would have bred in the church where you had to come and you had to perform day in and day out to be good enough to receive love from one another and from God. That's why on the, we're constantly talking about be loved in love. Receive the love of God with empty hands and dispense that back to others. That's why Paul even addresses this in Galatians. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You don't have to constrain yourself to performance. You are free in Christ because of the work that Christ has done for you. And Paul's talking about a lot of other things there too, but as it relates to our context, Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to do this. And Peter's protecting the congregation by addressing this. His proclamation the resurrection is essentially be loved in love. Put away performing. You will never make it. You're free from wearing a mask to gain approval. God has loved you and he has clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. Be free from performing. You are free in Christ. I remember a time when I was in the youth group, which, looking at me, come on, that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably 16 and just started driving. I know, the beard helps. I had a guy tell me once he thought I was 37. I was like, what? <laughs> no, I'm not 37. <laughs> but there was, there was a leader in the church where I was in the youth group, and, it, and there he was considered a deacon. His name's Greg. I actually invited Greg to be here Sunday. He couldn't make it. Um, but I love Greg, and I... Just started driving, and how do, you, how do you do things in youth group to appeal to other people other than, like, carry a whole lot of chairs and, like, peel out in the parking lot when you're leaving? And so I thought, yeah, that'd be fun. It's rained. I'll peel out in the parking lot as I'm leaving. And my mom called me, and she was probably embarrassed. She was like, why did you do that? You looked like a fool. And I was like, ah, mom, it was an accident. I didn't have to do that. 
my bad. And then Greg called me immediately following that. And Greg said, I picked up the phone. I go, hey, Greg. He goes, why'd you lie to your mom? Why? Greg, Greg knew. Greg knew me. Greg and I had been hanging out. Why'd you lie to your mom? Uh, you're right. I did lie to my mom. Greg represents Peter to me in a lot of ways. Someone who's not afraid to pick up the phone and say, hey, you did this. If I'm going to protect you and I'm going to protect the church by addressing sin and proclaiming your freedom back to you. you. You don't have to be constrained to these things. I'm giving your freedom back to you by proclaiming the gospel back to you. And it leads to a very direct application for us today. Elder nominations are happening. If you haven't filled out a form and you're a member of this church, go grab a form, turn it in. Is the elder that you're voting for someone who's going to lead in grace and the power that they've received? Proclaiming the gospel to us and telling us that we don't have to perform to earn our place? Again, that doesn't mean don't serve. Serve, but serve in the freedom you've got. You don't have to perform. You are free in Christ. God's love for you does not waver. That was the great problem with Martin Luther. He constantly felt like God's love was wavering for him. It does not waver for you because it is standing on the sufficiency of Christ. Will this elder stand firm in addressing issues of sin so that they may proclaim the gospel back to that person, Mm -hmm. but also protect the gospel in the life of this church? Mm -hmm. And will he defend the church from its enemies? That being Satan, who's clearly an enemy in this passage, but Ananias and Sapphira, who were an enemy at that moment, they were standing in opposition to the gathered people. As we read throughout the New Testament, most bad actors in the church come from within. Will this person that you're nominating stand firm and defend the gospel in Christ's church? So great grace and great power were upon the church. Peter was proclaiming the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel back to them. He protected the church. And so as that was happening, a response occurs to the freedom that was won for them. And it's Barnabas giving freely of himself. Barnabas is the free. There's a thus in verse 436 that comes after the description of what's happening in the broader life of the church. And that tells us a very key thing, that it is like a logical progression, that because there's great power and grace, this occurred. Very simple. And all we have to do is just read to see that. But that thus is vital, and it says that Barnabas isn't coming from a place of needing to perform, that Barnabas has received, and that he is giving. Barnabas lived as the son of God, clothed in righteousness. He gives not that he may gain, but that others may gain for him, or on their own. Martin Luther says it well, that God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. And that's what Barnabas is living out here. He knows that all the good works were completed for Christ, or completed through Christ, by Christ, and for us. In hearing the gospel proclaimed daily, he gives freely. Galatians 5.13 says that, For you are called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Barnabas is exhibiting that here. He's living freely, knowing that he's not constrained to have to give or how much to give, but that he may look to his brother, look to his sister and say, I have, you need. Christ has done for me. I will do for you. He's a very simple example. We don't see much about him because there's not much to say about him because he's not seeking encouragement for himself. Now, we hear a lot about Barnabas later and about his mission work with Paul. But in this scenario, don't hear much about him because he's not seeking glory for himself. And so I charge you, be who you are. If you've accepted Christ, be who Christ has made you to be. Be a loved child of God. Be free in that. Knowing that my holiness doesn't dictate who I am, but I am freed to holiness. Freed to serve. Freed to love. We have been loved, therefore we go in love. Give freely as you have been given. This passage concludes with another, like, this, this passage is like booked in between like a summary of the church and another summary of what's happening in the life of the church. And great awe is upon the church. Great fear is the word that happens there. I'd be pretty scared if two people died in our congregation suddenly <laughs> while like Dan was preaching. I'd be like, whoa. I'd probably be reading my Bible a lot more after that. <laughs> probably for bad motives as well. <laughs> Let's be for real. But, but the Lord is using this where, he, where the Lord himself through Peter has protected this church, protected the gathered body. Because if you think about it, the Jerusalem church at the time is the only church that's around. This, this situation is the first time they are given the title church in the book of Acts. This is the only, this is it. The seed church. And if something had gone wrong, think of how bad that could have been for the rest of us. But great reverence is upon them, and people are starting to be drawn to the church. Even non-Christians, it says in the text, are, they, re, they have a respect for the church. And I think if we can continue to live in the freedom that God has given us, not the freedom to do as we wish, but the freedom of the constraint to earn his love, to earn the love of our neighbors, then the world will look upon us and say, that is a truly free people. Because what does the world want more than anything right now? It's freedom to do whatever they want. The reality is, is in Christ, we have the freedom not to perform. The freedom to be loved and love as he has loved us. So live free. Because Christ has been, Christ has freed you. He's given you his righteousness. You need not earn it. You need not earn that from God. You need not earn it from others. Live free. Live free in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we do give thanks for Christ, that he has come, that he has clothed us in the righteousness of himself by the work of the Spirit. Lord, we ask that we would have a continual growth in our desire for the same grace and power that you describe here. And that we would live in it so that we may love one another well, but also be a light to the watching world. Because it is 
challenging as it is, through love, the world has great respect for the church through their freedom in that love. And multitudes are added to it. So Lord, we ask that multitudes would be added to us, not because of our performance, but because of you, O Lord, because of the love that you have given us. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.